Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Mara Cairo, product owner of Advanced Technology at Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute, on the topic of successfully implementing an enterprise AI strategy. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is Mara Cairo, a professional engineer and product owner of advanced technology at the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute, or AMI, in Alberta, Canada. Welcome, Mara. Thanks for having me, Christian. Happy to be here. It's a it's a great topic. A lot of people seem to be talking about this AI thing. Like, what's going on with AI? Why? No, it's <laughs> I, you know I, this is an important topic though because it's inevitable when you get in and talk about real world responses to whatever the news is, whatever's happening in the AI space. You have the fears out there. It's the real or perceived, and often it's the perceived fears. It's the, you know, the, the fear of the perceived threats, I guess, Absolutely, um, yeah. around, uh, you know, AI and then talk about the successful implementation of an, an, I say enterprise AI and organizational AI strategy. So maybe we start with your background, maybe tell us more about yourself, what you're doing at, at Amy. Sure. So I am Mara Cairo, product owner of the advanced technology team at Amy. Amy has many different products and services targeted to meet different industry partners where they're at. So we work with companies at the very early stages, you know, just wanting to learn what AI and machine learning is all the way to the more advanced applications where my team focuses. We work with companies who have a business problem that is really well suited for an AI or machine learning solution. So we work very, very collaboratively with our industry partners to build out our machine learning models to solve whatever business problem they've come to us for support with. And do you work across industry? Is Do you work more with like government and education to, uh, you know, to all other services? All of the above. Um, okay. One of the great things about the job is it's it is fairly industry agnostic so no problem is the same um, no business case or or use case is the same so every day is a different challenge and it keeps the the scientists the technical folks really really engaged because every problem we're working on is really really unique and we probably haven't seen it before so we're really eager to be creative with the solutions that we offer do you see, I mean, is it having any more, uh, uh, you know, is there level of interest higher in any one industry or is it across the board? You know, it's across the board. I would say lately um, more industries are interested in large language models. But again, these are industries from oil and gas to manufacturing to agriculture. So it it really just depends on what problems they've come to us with. We, we like to say that machine learning is fairly universal and can be applied to all many, many different domains. Um, but right now there's definitely a, a 
bigger interest in the language model side of things, rightfully so. Well, that, that it's, uh, you know, again, from my perspective, I worked very closely inside of the Microsoft ecosystem and with them so pushing uh, AI and their co-pilot solutions, which there's, again, co-pilots. I don't know how deep you are into what Microsoft is doing. Um, they're, they're, I mean, they're very doing very cutting edge stuff. It's, there's a lot of excitement they're building around it. But the number one thing that, again, I'm, I'm hearing this from customers as well is, is this we started off with the fear discussion of of what data is it does it actually have access to and this i always liken it maybe we start here um so if you look at the history of search technology as the search internal enterprise search improved the quality of the technology improved what it unearthed is that we'd have clients coming to us all the time when i was at microsoft when i was at uh, other vendors complaining that search was broken and it was broken because it was surfacing data that it shouldn't surface what it was actually doing was uncovering uh lackluster controls uh the lack of governance and security protocols that they weren't properly categorizing and securing their data and it was then making those mistakes visible yeah and so that that's what are some of the misconceptions of of ai when people are looking at solving problems kind of where do those fears begin yeah two come to mind i think the first one is that ai is expensive and that might be a barrier for companies that want to invest in it but don't think that they can so definitely in the past ai has been more accessible to larger organizations who have the budget to make the investments in the technology because historically it's taken a lot of work to collect and clean data store and train models and deploy the models hire the talent there is definitely a cost associated with that but these days, and even over the last year or so, the availability of some of these AI services via more cloud platforms have mm -hmm. made this technology more accessible to um, different sized organizations. And it is the emergence of these large language models, ChatGPT, they're more readily available now to the everyday user, and they're offered at a lower cost. Um, without necessarily the same type of knowledge that you once needed to use that technology in your company. Well, I, I, I imagine this is true with any consultant that will recognize the truth here is that if you're working with a client who doesn't understand what they want, that's going to be more expensive than somebody that has a very fine-tuned idea, very specific need that they've identified that they're looking for help on. Absolutely. Yeah. And definitely with machine learning, we don't want to start with the technology. We want to start with the business problem and build the solution from there. The other way around can be, like you said, expensive. It can be confusing. It can be a lot a much longer process. Um, so we like to make sure that there's a defined business problem before we go off and start trying to apply machine learning to absolutely everything. Well, and, and two, there's there's so many, so much data that's out there. Um, I mean, I, I remember when the the the, the term the the of, of big data kind of came out. I'm like, what does that mean? I work in the collaboration technology space. Like all data is big data. Nobody is disposing of data anymore we're collecting all these things and then when you start to get into those targeted systems with transactional systems and things where companies start to realize hey we want to be able to apply this 
transactional data, this customer data, our employee data and analytics around it. Um, these are massive amounts of data to go in there do. Again, if you don't know what you want to get out of that, it can take a lot of time and money to clean up and refine that request and identify, well, what do we actually need to capture? What do we actually need to train the AI on to be able to solve this problem? Absolutely. And, you know, we, we love building predictive models, but there's so much more to this work. The ML modeling is a small piece and a huge component of the work is actually that data piece. So we work with companies to make sure that the data is there, that it exists, that it will be consumable in a, in a machine learning model before we start building anything. How common is it as you're working with clients? They come in, whether they have a well-defined uh, you know, problem set that they are looking for help in solving that, or if they generally know that they need to start building out they have an idea and you're working with them. So how common is it for these organizations to come in where there's that fear of jobs going away? Uh, you know, because that, I mean, I, again, I, it just reminds me of when everybody feared the cloud and jobs were going to take away the cloud. Yeah. It's like, look, jobs evolved and a lot of those especially in IT like even more essential the were the people with the knowledge of the pre-cloud technology of the services the products the apps to 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 know those systems after the cloud and it, it is AI pretty much the same in that respect so, yeah I think what's interesting is the companies that come to us that want to work with us have they're not as afraid because they they're coming to us for help in the application of this technology but certainly there is that general fear amongst the public that there is maybe a job displacement issue coming with the um, advancements in this area so it's it's a reasonable concern. Um, this has always been the case, like you said, uh, when we're advancing technologies, um, especially technologies that change how we work. So I think like the advent of the calculator, folks were worried that we would not have a use for accountants anymore. And it turns out accountants are the biggest users of calculators now, right? So mm -hmm. we kind of liken that to the, the advent of these tools. Um, there's a lot, you know, we can learn from these historical examples. Humans are adaptable. And as new things are invented, we, we learn how to use them to our advantage. And ultimately these, Inventions often create new jobs, and certainly that's the case right now. Um, you've maybe heard of prompt engineering now, which is a newer yep. term, folks having to properly interact with these large language models. How do you get the right answer out of them? This is kind of this new job area. So at Amy, we're not as, as concerned because we see how transformative this technology will be. Um, I think there's, a, you know, things to keep in mind as an organization to kind of mitigate that fear and get that organizational buy-in. Um, that's, you know, having a change management plan. How is this going to impact your job? Clearly communicating it and having open conversations to address concerns within in your organization and just training your staff 
and providing them with ongoing PD. Because with these new technologies, there are new skills that we will need to um, adopt. And so you want to make sure that your team is feeling empowered to continue to upskill to use these technologies to their advantage. Well, and I think you just touched on the, if you, if, if I get work, working in the IT space for so long, it's where these fears may be uh, uh, understood and, and, and realistic are in organizations that don't provide a learning path for their employees. And it's one of those things where, you know, when we started, uh, you know, hearing so much about the great resignation and quiet quitting and kind of all this stuff and a lot of that frustration. And I've been in companies like this where wait, we have the budget for this training and I'm it's in my employee plan to go and do this, yet why do I feel like I'm penalized or looked down upon for then going and doing the training it's itself and and so it, it, we realize that for call it you know health and well-being of employees the employee experience having a learning path is critical to overall job satisfaction i mean so that's again it's not an ai thing it's just a that's just a reality it just happens to be that's what people need to be learning about so you need to provide that training provide that path for people to to understand. Then the other side of it is that, you know, when people learn, they generally bring that new learning that other ideas into their current roles. So there mm -hmm. could be, it's not just about a replacement, it, the fact that they could be adding learning things and adding that into their jobs now, improving productivity. Yeah, exactly. We see it more as like an augmentation tool than a replacement tool. Certainly the folks who know how to use this technology and are comfortable and familiar with it will probably have a job for a longer period than the folks that refuse to adopt it, refuse to kind of get familiar with it and learn how to use it to their advantage. Um, but it really is meant to be an extension of us and not a replacement. Well, one of the, you know, talking about not, not a replacement of, uh, you know, a lot of consulting organizations, for example, it's written into the contract that if you as the consulting, uh, uh, you know, partner is leveraging other partners to solve a problem, like it must be discussed, it must be approved that you're bringing this other expert, this outside entity could be another company into that. Is there something similar happening with our organizations um, that wanting visibility into the use of AI and solving problems. Like if I come to you as a vendor and I think that, hey, you're going to have five people doing this work for me in the background, but it's really two people and a bunch of AI automation, you know, so is that something that you also work with your clients around is, is how do we you know, develop this this trust with clients around this that uh, to to understand how it's being used. Is that something? Is that an important topic to customers that you work with? It is, and it's something we talk about from the very beginning to companies who are just exploring this area for the first time. So there's obviously a huge topic around ethical AI. Um, Amy has our own principled AI framework. It's something that I've seen kind of being developed over the past few years, and it it takes a lot of work to get to a point where 
we're we're in a spot where we can say we're ethical, we're making the right decisions, we have the right documentation. It's not just a checklist and, and you go on. It's something that needs to be adopted by the entire organization at all levels. And again, proper education and training for the employees so that they're following the ethical framework. So we have it internally um, and we also have material to train the public, to train companies on why this is so important and their the considerations that they should be making. This is definitely, I would say, the, the most important piece as AI and large language models become more and more common and people are familiar with them. We need to take this ethical thing really, really seriously and companies need to focus as much effort on developing AI solutions as developing the actual framework so that people can trust these companies and trust their data and the decisions that the models are making and feel confident that it's developed in an ethical way. Yeah, I, and for folks too that are, that, that are trying to understand really kind of the nuance of what we're discussing. Like I, so I have scheduled uh, uh, another uh, uh, podcast recording with a good friend and somebody within the Microsoft ecosystem, a fellow MVP, where we're gonna be talking about like this this question exactly. As a marketing guy, it's a you know marketing degree, my MBA, I'm a marketing guy, you know. But, uh, <laughs> and my, 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 I am also a board member of a content site of Techie Gurus. That's all Microsoft-based, you know, uh, technology content that's out there. And somebody asked, was like, well, do you care if somebody goes and uses ChatGPT to generate an article? I said, well, for one, um, for those, if you've actually gone in and used it, you realize that that it's a help to the writing process. It cannot, I'm, I'm, I have not seen a technical article 100% written by AI that's of any quality like you could it's just it's not it's not great it's a it's a great that's why i think microsoft's naming of their ai product copilot was a great name for that totally. it does not it does not remove the human it requires the pilot and it is the copilot absolutely and and so but this this other discussion with this friend is going to be around uh, uh using it my, my feeling from a marketing standpoint do i care if I'm reading through FAQs, um, whether they were written by a human or put together by AI, do I care if I'm reading tweets and other social posts with images where the images and the tweets themselves were curated by AI? If it's proper English, the language is there, if it's the messaging, if it, and it and I connect with it, why do I care? That's my philosophy. She disagrees with that perspective. She has strong concerns about that. So. Like, so I, I, again, I, I take that standpoint of like good content is good content. If it's doing things correctly, if the, your company, if the organization has built those safeguards, if it's being edited, curated, but it's primarily being generated and it's serving its purpose, what's the ethical dilemma? Right. Well, and, and I think, again, it comes back to that transparency piece. So even just letting people know that this FAQ or this image has been generated um, 
it's something that kind of organizations have to decide on as they're thinking through these things, what is important um, and, and how will their users feel when they're exposed to these different things. We are at Amy, we're very transparent with our usage of these tools. You know, there's lots of conversations at even the government level around regulation and whatnot. So we want to make sure that, um, you know, everyone's comfort level is kind of varies right now so we're we're trying to be extra transparent with with our usage but it, it's again something that um, technical leaders really need to think about as these tools become more and more popular and more and more accessible definitely i the the best users of these tools for me are the scientists who know what's going on behind the scenes and who really know the limitations of the tool they're they're using it to the the best of their advantage i think it gets a little bit scarier when people that don't really understand what it's doing or that it can hallucinate and then it's not you know a search machine and they're right. just taking it for its face value that's when it can get dangerous well that that and, and here's a great example of that too is is that personal example is that uh, i mean I, i've started using it to go in and take very long uh pieces of content and summarize it for me and mm -hmm. i was i was like this is fantastic for that then a piece that i was very familiar with that was very long i've, I've gone through i've researched it i pulled quotes out of it so I asked it to go and so I did this little test and said, summarize this for me. And it provided it wasn't that it was incorrect in its summary. It left out so much in that summary that mm. were, I thought, the most important points of the research that it left out in its summary. Like, I'm not sure why it touched on certain points and just ignored others. But it was just interesting to 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 look at that. And again, that's why I say it's it's a as an idea generation tool, as a helper, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm, I am excited at the organizational level, again, for things like Microsoft Copilot, at when it starts looking at not the broad public uh, language models, but starts looking at specifically the organizational data mm -hmm. and researching into like my emails and all those communications and my notes and all those things and be able to provide responses based on that that is very exciting for me right but on the flip side of that you have to then wonder where where is your data your email where is that information being stored who has access to it right that's um, the other layer of this and that's why we are so transparent if we are using it because we're dealing with highly sensitive data that yep. is you know not necessarily the most secure so i think there's still a lot of risk there and this is something else that people need to understand when they're using these tools what information are you giving chat gpt about yourself or your family members and are this you comfortable is one of those with things though i mean I, it, most organizations don't think about security until they have a breach mm -hmm. then they, then they go and apply things i'm sure that's where you get a lot of clientele coming through that's exactly the point at which there's something that shouldn't have happened happened yeah. And they say, oh, we need to look at a an enterprise solution for this. We need to fix this. Yeah. That's yeah. that's look, I started my career talking about metadata and information architecture. Nobody ever listens about that stuff. <laughs> you go and uh, 
uh, you, you structure it, you put in the guardrails. It's important to do that. And then you have to be vigilant against that because technology changes, users change that don't understand the ethical implications, the security implications of that. And it'd be easier if this data was over here or, you know, I can just upload this to this location and I'll just Absolutely. dump all of my files there. It's like, yeah, you, you, there's always that barrier. If you put up too many barriers, make it too difficult, then people won't follow the protocols. People right. are like water running down a hill. If you put a rock in front of it, it'll go around. <laughs> yeah, it, it, talking about transformation, because you think about how much this is impacting organizations. Yeah. How do you envision the future landscape of businesses that are fully embracing AI? Like, is it, I mean, is it gonna be this, this massive competitive uh, advantage over those that don't? I would say so. I would say if you're not embracing AI, you can bet that your competitor is. So definitely businesses that understand it and are implementing it and adopting it are better positioned for success. However, they also need to, on the other end, be thinking about the ethical implementation and implications of their work as well, because that could certainly tank you if you're not really being thoughtful about the end-to-end -end solution um, of the model that you're building. In terms of, you know, like sectors that I think are going to benefit the most from this, like I said at the beginning, we work with all different industry sectors. Um, obviously being in Alberta, we have lots of companies in oil and gas. And I do think that the energy industry has a lot to gain. There's immense pressure on them to reduce emissions, to be more efficient. And they generally have a lot of data. They've had sensors, you know, for years, recording, measuring. Um, and now is the time for them to look at that data and start making uh, predictions so that they can avoid kind of disasters maybe before they happen to, to increase efficiencies and reduce emissions. Yeah, you think about that of the just the operational, you know, operational engineering, that side of it is like the, it's uh, like humans are fallible. They're, they're, they can make mistakes there. They, they can also, um, with the predictive power of these tools, um, the system could recognize patterns and, and make adjustments that are, you know, not visible to the naked eye, you know, and, and, yeah. and be able to, to, to watch for things. So I think it's a, and that's why you see, and like the manufacturing sector, I, I worked earlier in my career in the high-tech manufacturing sector and working on demand planning systems and decision support systems for this. I have some idea of the complexity behind a lot of what they do and the impacts downstream of decisions made upstream, like the design side that could, you know, impact. You're not just changing the profile of a product, making it slimmer, you know, sleeker. It's like, well, that changes all of the internal components. You change yeah. the internal components. Well, that impacts then the you know the what the size of those components the heat tolerance of those components of whether the materials raw materials are available to even create those slimmer components to go in this new part so you know all things that you don't think about when you're just changing out let's make it look sleeker and more modern like yeah. changing everything internally you know and so 
to have the power of AI to be able to better understand, you know, those impacts and make adjustments are incredibly powerful in the manufacturing yeah. sector. Well, interesting. Well, I, I, I'd love to, to get into and, and talk more about the successful implementation of AI. You've got a lot of experience working with these different organizations. So, you know, what, you know, kind of what is your approach? What what are the challenges that you see that's like, the, what are the patterns of challenges that you're seeing with organizations that come in and say, hey, we're ready to move forward. Maybe we've defined one or two areas where we can re really leverage this, this, this technology, but what are the kind of the common, I don't know, m mistakes made or things that they are to, that, that organizations aren't thinking about in their planning? Yeah, there's different challenges at different stages along that AI adoption spectrum. Very early on, again, companies just wanting to explore this area for the first time um, might have a misconception about what AI can do and what it can't do. It's not magic. It's not something you can just sprinkle on any problem for improvements in it whatever accuracy speed or, or whatever um, and that's why we really focus on the business problem first some problems aren't well suited for machine learning and ai some solutions that exist out there that are more rule-based work just fine and machine learning maybe can't really level things up obviously there are plenty of problems where machine learning is really really valuable and that's where we focus but we do work with companies at that earlier stage to brainstorm unique problems that we can work on and talk about it specifically for different use cases and applications, as opposed to just like a broad umbrella of machine learning that we can apply across the organization and just do better and be, be more competitive. You know, I've, I've had this conversation with just technology discussions in general, where you're talking with, <laughs> You know, an executive who is just so excited to use all the new shiny technology things that are out there and implement it. And where, where you go and you do a, ref, a, a discovery of their systems, of their data, and you say, you know, the system that you have in place is completely sufficient for what you're trying to do and the problem solved and you don't need to go and do this now. It's like, yeah, but we want like the latest version and upgrade yep. to the newest thing. And. Again, working in the, in the Microsoft sector, Microsoft would hate it when I would talk to a client and talk them out of moving to the next version because I'm like, well, one, you're not ready. Here's other things that you can do. It'd be much better, but take the next two years. Um, I also come from a project management background. I know you have some yeah. that background as well, um, where I say, you know, you've not yet gotten the value out of what you spent the last transformation and you need to finish this cycle. You know, there comes a point at that time where the value of the new uh, that outweighs the, the 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 cost of change, and so it's it's time. And yeah. I, I think that a lot of organizations get so excited about the new, they kind of forget that part. For sure. And the really cool thing about machine learning is, if we dig enough, we're probably going to surface a business problem that is suitable for machine learning. But that involves work, that involves conversations and discussions and 
it is a journey definitely and that's something that people need to to know going into it it's not just day one you're building your predictive models and day two you know everything's peachy it's it's a journey and amy has services to kind of take companies along that adoption but yep. you do need to invest the time in in lots of different things like that it seems like there's a great opportunity for someone on like twitter or something to put one of these you know these clickbait links that say you know hey answer these 100 questions and we'll be able to predict which region of the country you're from <laughs> Is there something similar to know whether I am ready for in my organization for AI? Can I go take, can I go browse through Marie Claire magazine or Vogue and find uh, information? <laughs> I'm just thinking too <laughs> that, that changed my life, uh, helped me along the right path. No, but seriously, is there, um, when you're talking with organizations, uh, you know, what, from that CTO's perspective, what do you look for? Like whether an organization actually is ready. I mean, there's a business problem identifying the actual problem, but th there's I, there's steps in between to actually be able to execute. Absolutely, I wish there was just a quick quick survey, but it takes time, and um, we make sure we invest the appropriate time in those conversations before we point companies to solutions. Our solutions are meant to meet companies where they're at, depending on where they kind of sit on that spectrum. But we invest a lot of time in making sure we're placing them in the right kind of spot with the right services available. Um, so it, I, I don't think it's as easy as a quick survey yet, but we have lots of people who dedicate lots of time to have conversations about that. In terms of like evaluation of that, um, I think, all stakeholders within the organization should have some understanding of machine learning, not necessarily the technical, but the business implications as well. Um, when you're dealing with less mature technology development, so uh, a, a machine learning tool that isn't necessarily off the shelf, that still requires some customization, you do need to be ready to invest time in experimenting and iterating. Um, which will require resources and oftentimes with those newer problems um, we don't necessarily know out of the gate what solution will be the best will give the best results so we allow a lot of time for that iteration and experimentation and that can make milestones tricky because we can't say that it's going to take us this amount of time and we're going to do it this way. We want to allow for that creativity and iteration uh, throughout, but we make sure to communicate that upfront and throughout so they know where we're, we're going. The other thing when you're looking like, are they ready? How, how are they going to measure success? Like, hmm. how do we know yeah. that the model is actually valuable to them? So for us, that means, looking at what their baseline is right now. What What is their current accuracy or results and what are they trying to beat? What would be successful to them? Because otherwise it might be hard for us to evaluate the performance at the end if there's nothing to really compare it to. And I well, guess- That goes back to if you, if you have a clear idea of the problem area you're trying to solve for, then you're more likely to have an idea of, okay, what this looks like success at the end. Like I, I would always say again, with collaboration technologies, like, okay, our company produces 10 widgets a month. At the end of this process, if we're able to do 15 a month, hey, we know we've moved the dial. We've improved that. 
we have stronger output. So I, I often use that same phrase, like, oh, say, what does success look like For at sure. the end of this? Working in IT, that's one of the biggest frustrations. There's, it's the, you know, the, the you know, inevitably there's you know, people that pile on that will ask for more and more and more. And then you never get credit for having delivered six months ago what the initial plan was. That was the finish line. That right. was success. But we've moved on. We've The scope creep has followed us. And yeah. I think AI has that danger as well. For sure, yeah. And, and not only that, but the endpoint is not necessarily just deploying a model and then like walking away from it. Um, there's probably maintenance involved. Your data might drift. You will need to revisit your model. So communicating that up front to our industry partners, and that is a, a measure of their readiness to kind of venture into this space is realizing that it's, it's not necessarily an end point. It's a journey and you're adopting this technology and um, it's something that you will need to maintain over time as well if you really want to get value from it. So it's almost like, I mean, the way I interpret a lot of that is like, well, so organizationally, the, the culturally, mm. you have a mindset of like R&D. Like this is something that we have to, you know, uh, Again, I love like some of the, the agile language around it, but you'll fail fast, try things, be willing to go try things and experiment. And a lot of organizations just aren't willing to go and do that. Like it is a it's I, I often say that, you know, that the uh, you know, companies with that mindset, it's almost I sometimes call it more of an entrepreneurial mindset or their willingness mm -hmm. to try things, to break things. It's phrased in a lot of different ways. But all those things point to a culture that is willing to experiment and take risks, understanding that they will learn from and benefit from these new things more quickly than those that don't experiment. For sure, yeah. And my perspective is slightly biased because the problems we work on are the more complex, challenging problems. There are lots of AI tools and solutions out there that are fairly well proven out and don't require a ton of like internal resources to maintain or build out. But the projects that my team works on are new and novel. And like you said, you you do need that culture of innovation and experimentation because it's it's something new. So we need to try and see what happens. Um, so that's definitely a another driver um, and something that we look for when we're working with partners. So be honest, have you ever, have you had somebody come in, ask you for help on something, and you kind of assess you guys just aren't ready? Does that happen? <laughs> or do you find a way to make it work? <laughs> no, we, we, the way that our programming works is it's stage gated along the way. So there's exit points as we learn more information and as they learn more from us. Um, and we definitely have said to companies, you're not ready, you need to go collect more data, you need mm. to label your data. That's often kind of how that conversation goes. It's it's more around the, the data readiness. Yeah. Um, Telling you again, that information architecture background, I know yeah. every organization, <laughs> if you think you're good at IA, then you've become complacent because everybody has their blind spots, but it's a, but that is a major area. I'd say like if you, before you even talk to somebody like Amy, 
um, before you get into that that world, you know, you can start cleaning up the data that you know, and and you'll you'll have to escalate and improve and on those efforts. Yeah, you bet. Well, so final question. Uh, so, I. I I, I do like this. Uh, you know, my last question was going to get into kind of cultural, but we kind of already did that. Um, but, you know, any other things that are part of an implementation, you know, guidance for companies on how to be successful with something like that? We've talked about the cultural aspects. We talked about, of course, the data cleanup of that. Anything yeah. we've kind of left off of your your approach to customers where that 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 really impact overall success? You know, I think, yeah, I think we covered a lot. I think, you know, you you do have to determine as an organization if you want to build, buy, or partner. If this yeah. is technology yep. you want to build in-house, if it's something you want to buy off the shelf, or if you want to partner with organizations like Amy. Yeah. And again, that's something that we can't necessarily decide, um, but we can help companies think through the pros and cons to each of those. I think if, if you want to be an AI company, it would suit you well to have the right experts in-house to yeah. stay up to date and maintain and remain competitive. The other part is, we also touched on it a little bit, but it's that ethical AI piece. Um, when you're building a team and you're you're hiring this talent, they want to work on problems that have a societal impact and they wanna know that they're building something for good and that it's not going to be harmful for people. So again, coming back to that framework that needs to be developed internally if companies want to build this technology, um, your own staff and your your clients and your competitors, that they'll all be looking at you for that. So being really transparent about your approach to responsible AI. Um, is also, I think, really important, especially nowadays. Well, again, it comes back to, I think, a, uh, a transparent organization is generally one that is, again, more entrepreneurial, more R&D focused. Um, I think those things go very hand in hand. So, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, completely agree. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, Mara, really appreciate your your time today. This has been great discussion. Uh, I always do like to ask at the end. So, folks that want to find out more about uh, your organization and get in contact with you or your company, what's the best way to to find more info? So we would be happy to chat. Um, you can find us online, amy.ca, A-M-I-I.ca. Uh, there's lots of ways to get in touch with us. And like I said, we really work hard to make sure that we're delivering the right solution to your problem. So we, we love to have discovery calls with our industry partners and learn more about what they're doing and their challenges and um, figure out ways we can help. Never hurts to have the conversation. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Christian. It was lots of fun. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published weekly, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.